my friends, we have the one, the only, Nico of Simply Bitcoin. And also, not only that, just when your heart was about to explode from excitement, we also have Tomer joining us from Swan Bitcoin. They are both incredible contributors to the Bitcoin space, incredible educators. I think they probably orange-pilled more people, even than Jesus. I think that's a fair statement to make. Um, Tomer, Nico, how are you both doing? Hyped to be on Bitcoin Magazine Live, coming at you live from Austin, Texas in my shitty hotel room. Yeah, nice. happy to be here, boys. It, Tomer, I'm going to let you, uh, tell us how you're doing, and then I want to make fun of Nico for being in like a darkened room that looks like he's about to get murdered. All right, uh, I'm doing well. <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> he, he, Tomer just wants you to make fun of Nico, so go right yeah. ahead. No, I, so there's a couple things going on here. One, your background, it looks like, I mean, yeah, something terrible is about to happen. I feel like a demon's going to come out and steal your 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 face. Ooh, there's somebody else. Nice. Nobody's made the, the bed. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend's just I'm like, yo, put it go to that side of the bed. Stay quiet. Don't say anything. Also, your microphone, rock solid. What what mic is that? I got an inspiration from this guy named P. He has this dope, you know, this show called Bitcoin Magazine Live, and I liked how he sounded. So I just got the black version of your mic. What, what's yeah. the mic called, Nico? What's like it's the an, specific name for it's it? An, it's an RE20. It's an RE20. No, 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 no. Very close. No, no, no. There's, a, there's a name that you know. No, he, maybe you don't. I was informed oh, by our German awesome. colleagues. The second they saw me on camera, they were like, you know what we call that in Germany. And I was like, the RE20, the Electrovoice RE20, you know, pillar of, you know, broadcast microphones. And they were like, no, 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 no. It's called the elephant dick. That's what that microphone is called in Germany. <laughs> And they're right. So you made the right choice. You got the black version, which blends into the background. It looks like it's like a piece of AV equipment that's, you know, it's just sort of, it's there to provide quality rather than like be a fixture in the the frame. I made the terrible mistake of getting the, you know, puke gray color. And I regret that every day of my life. <laughs> I like the the red Bitcoin sticker though, because I was looking at stickers and I'm like, no, because I'm going to copy P. I'm like, maybe I put it on the bottom. I don't know. But it was actually interesting because I was going through two of the mics, right? And what what Q has is the 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 seven. The, I forget the things before SMB's. that. That's sure. Apparently, that mic sounds more homey. It sounds more like Joe Rogan podcast. Let's talk about you know interdimensional elves, right? But this mic is more the Alex Jonesy authoritative mic. Mm-hmm. That's right. So that's right. Different I'll, I'll, vibes. I I'm so much more a Joe Rogan than Alex Jones kind of guy. So you're you're preaching the choir. Opti, my 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 co-host, he has that mic. So it's it's a good dynamic between the two. It's, so it's we true. have officially we have reached the max of five minutes talking about elephant dicks. So I do have to pull the plug on elephant dick talk at this point in time. My friends. <laughs> Topics that are still on the table, however, are bug meat <laughs> and, of course, the merge. But I first actually want to <laughs> go back a little bit further. Tomer, we had a chance to sit down with you and talk a lot about the block size wars. And you wrote an excellent yeah. piece about it, detailing your experience. I want to just get a sense from you of the piece. And I'm not expecting you to have stayed up to date in the merge, literally, my updates on the merge are what Chris tells me to talk about before we come on this show. That's how much I pay attention mm-hmm. to it. But how much do you see a parallel between what's going on there and what happened in Bitcoin with the block size wars for five years ago? That's a, that's a great question. I, I, I really fundamentally see Bitcoin and Ethereum as 
almost opposites of each other, or maybe not even almost, like close to as opposites of each other as as can be. When I think of the block size wars, I think corporations within Bitcoin, miners within Bitcoin were testing the system in a sense to see if they could take over control of Bitcoin. And very quickly and very immediately and very simply, Bitcoiners said no. And we took when we put our money where our mouth is and we wrote and ran very simple software that would prevent the seizure of control of Bitcoin by the mining cartel. We said we want SegWit to activate. And if you don't activate SegWit by a certain date, your blocks will be considered invalid. That was the logic of the UASF. And enough of us ran it and enough of us advocated for it that they ran it. And so that that's a very short version of the probably 35-minute read that is my my article for you guys. The merge is something different. And you know, I feel like all, Ethereum's all, always, in a sense, been captured by the developers, right? Like Bitcoin has a difficulty adjustment to ensure that it keeps running no matter what. Ethereum has a difficulty bomb to ensure that it will stop running no matter what, unless you do a hard fork as dictated by the developers. And so... One thing is guaranteed to run forever. The other thing is guaranteed not to run unless you do what the developers tell you to do through the form of hard fork. And so now we have this hard fork scheduled for the merge. And lo and behold, people have discovered some other party might be able to seize control because the way that proof of stake mining works, you have to have a minimum amount of Ethereum, which not enough people have. So people have delegated, they've sent, they've surrendered custody of their Ethereum to these staking pools, which are different from mining pools because mining pools, you retain your mining hardware. You just point it at the node of a miner, but a staking pool, you surrender custody to the, to the staking pool. The staking pool then stakes your coins in a contract that they can't even withdraw the coins from. And so what we've had is this massive centralization and this recognition following the week ago's events surrounding this tornado cash thing is like, well, now that these corporations hold all the ETH that's staked, and that's the consensus algorithm, they can be ordered or they can take control of, of what is the truth in Ethereum. And now there's this whole debate about whether or not a UASF, a user-activated soft fork, is possible and should be pursued in Ethereum. But it, this, the algorithm is so complicated and so untested for slashing and proof of stake. It's, it's just not easy, right? Like it's very straightforward to understand Bitcoin mining with a little bit of training. It's, I don't think anybody understands exactly all the nuances and details of this new Ethereum proof of stake system under the merge. And so I, my, my expectation is, although there's some talk of doing a UASF to threaten the large corporations, of with penalties if they don't if they don't do what's meant to be done, which again is kind of ambiguous. I don't think that it can be coordinated because not enough people run nodes. It's impossible to run an actual full archival node for a normal person without thousands of dollars. It's impossible to stake unless you have tens of thousands of dollars worth of coins and a very needy system. So these things are not the same. And if that's not too long an answer, I'm sorry, <laughs> then maybe I've gone too long. But I just, I don't see these things as even remotely similar. And I don't think that I, I have a very dim view of proof of stake in general, because it it is the rich get richer for 
no work other than being rich and the rich also get control of the system. And that's the whole point. Like it's the whole thing we've been trying to get away from. We want work to be rewarded, honesty to be rewarded, nobody to be able to seize control of the system. And that's just not what proof of stake is. Every proof of stake system we see has a large majority of stakers who are basically have all the votes and decide what, what will and what won't be the state of the blockchain. Well said. I love, I love that statement though of proof of stake just makes the rich richer. My question to everyone here is, you know, we, I've been seeing this conversation about the impending merge all throughout Bitcoin, Twitter, crypto, Twitter. It, it seems as though this story has leaked in to our day-to-day lives, despite the fact that we are not necessarily involved or theoretically should not even be impacted by this. Is this a waste of our time? Like, Should we be spending time discussing what's going on over there? Or is this something, Is would that energy and time be better spent elsewhere? I would say, since nobody's jumping in, since nobody's jumping in, because I've already spoken, I have two views of this. I I think one is you should only spend your time on it if it's educational to you and teaches you more about the differences between Bitcoin and the altcoins and how Bitcoin is not governed or has a decentralized system to manage it. And everything else is elites battling each other for control of the system. But if you're not interested in it for that, like if, if you if you don't know how Bitcoin works yet, you're better off spending time understanding Bitcoin if you're interested in that than understanding why it looks like proof of stake is a troubled system. Because the order in which to learn these things is you want to learn how to how a proper bridge is built and then you can kind of study how not building it properly can cause it to fall apart. But if you don't understand the properties of sound money and sound engineering in the first instance, you're kind of lost as to why Bitcoiners might say, you know, Bitcoin is sound and Ethereum is not. And so you, you have to start at the basics. And, and if, you've, if you've got a very advanced knowledge and you're interested in diving into this thing or refuting some of the claims that are being made by others, then by all means, if it's a good use of your time. But <laughs> the article that I wrote for you guys most recently about truth, beauty, and love is just like Bitcoiners are in love with the beauty of the architecture of Bitcoin and the truth of the system. And they, and they love truth. And so spend your time in a system that's filled with truth as opposed to a system that's filled with all sorts of unverifiable and even often falsifiable claims. Well said. Well said. I also just want to give you props. You are an incredible storyteller, Tomer. And one of the things that I think is so interesting is the way that you conceptualize your experience of kind of the fork wars. And, you know, as as Q mentioned, we, we had this conversation with you recently where you're talking about your experience of that event. But I just want to give you props for for being able to communicate around these complicated topics from a a very almost like a per, uh, a very personal perspective that everyone else can empathize with extremely effectively. And I think that's that's a uh, a very unique skill that you possess. So, so to go back to cues though, because it, that you had an excellent question, right? Which is, should we even waste our time talking about this? Absolutely. What's at stake, right? This is about the separation of money and state. Full stop, right? If people don't understand that 
And I think a lot of the crypto people are just, and Guy Swan had an amazing tweet and it goes along with like, look, shitcoiners don't mind shooting Bitcoin in the back if it means getting their Lambos, right? And seeing the cognitive dissonance last week of these ETH guys coming to terms with the fact that ETH is run by Jeff Bezos, controlled by the US government, right? They didn't know that before. And I even made the theory, like I even made the case that the Treasury Department last week did such a great chess move because they focused on something that, you know, wasn't very popular to tornado cash. But in the process of doing that, they showed to the world, hey, we're still in charge. And remember, it was the Treasury Department that, to use Cynthia Lummis' own words, right, got the jump on us by sneaking in that, you know, those that crypto amendment into the must-pass infrastructure bill that the Bitcoin senators are still trying to amend, right? This is what this is what's at stake for. This is what this is what's at stake. And Bitcoiners fundamentally understand what is the end goal. The end goal is to separate money from state. It has corrupted the state 100%. And the shitcoiners are still focused on rainbows, unicorns and all these things that it's just like, dude, listen. If it's not decentralized, it will inevitably be captured by government. And that's being shown, right? And I think Tomer said that beautifully, right? The fact that Ethereum is so resource intensive means that only a handful of people could run that hardware, which is why 50%, no, it's over 50%. I think it's like 60 to 70% of Ethereum nodes are run on servers. Of that 60%, 50% of them are run on AWS servers. When I say that Ethereum is run by Jeff Bezos, I'm not exaggerating. And as we saw with the whole parlor thing, what happened during the January 6th, put the politics aside, it's not it's not important. But parlor was shut down because of political pressure. And where was parlor run? It was run on AWS. So my question to everybody is how long until you see OFAC compliant nodes run by the servers? How long? It, it wouldn't take that much political pressure. It wouldn't take that. Wouldn't take that. Do you think those companies are going to stand up and say, "Hey, you know, like, no"? It needs to be decentralized from the beginning. And to go back to Q's question, this is why it's important to cover it because if people don't understand that this is a game for all all the marbles, and they will throw everything and anything at us, it's inevitable. If it's not decentralized from the beginning, it will fail. And Ethereum. Unfortunately, what I see is going to happen, right, is that there's going to be an evil alliance between governments, Ethereum, all the shit coins. You're already starting to see this with the proof of stake narrative. You're already starting to see it. Proof of work is really bad, but there's this alternative that has never been tried, tried and tested. Proof of stake that uses 97% less energy. Come on now. Are you trying to tell me that's a coincidence? That's not a coincidence. That's a social attack on Bitcoin. And that is what we're up against. We're up against this, monstr this monstrous machine that has controlled people and humanity for over 400 years, literally slowly, slowly sucking the lifeblood out of them through debasement. That is what we're up against. And there's a lot of powerful people that have a lot to lose if Bitcoin wins. 
and we and our only weapon right is truth and at the end of the day what is this peaceful revolution it's a peaceful revolution of hearts and minds and we win over those hearts and minds by giving them the truth we give them honesty hey you don't want to be immune to censorship you're you know an afghani woman that got cut off when the u.s pulled out of afghanistan now the only thing that works is bitcoin well what are you going to choose are you going to choose something that the U.S. could potentially capture one again? What, what if you don't know that? What if you buy into the Ethereum marketing and you're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it does all these things that Bitcoin doesn't. And then you get caught with your pants down. That's what we fight for. That's why it's so important to call out their bullshit. And they have no response to it. Look at what happened last week. They have no response. I told I, I, I retweeted one of the guys. I said, what is this? You know what he, you know what his response to me was? A block. They can't compete with our ideas. So they're functioning to what all totalitarians always always resort to, censorship and trying to control the narrative. I say we double down on them. We don't let up. Your your stuff is a scam. And I and I'm telling you right now, over the next five to ten years, it's gonna it's gonna be incredibly obvious. Who really controls Ethereum? It's not Vitalik. It's those, those people that run the servers. And if they move to proof of stake, it will be even worse. Who do you think has the most Ethereum to stake? Exchanges. Do you really think exchanges are going to stand up to the U.S. government and say, hey, we don't want, we, you know, let, we don't want to run OFAC compliant. What do you think the U.S. government is going to do? It's going to shut them down. Unless the people run the protocol, it's doomed to fail from day one. And it's our responsibility as content creators. Tomer does his, you know, we do video, but they, he does his own writing bit, which is incredibly awesome. It's our responsibility to educate the public before it's too late. My two sats. I feel so inspired right now. I'm ready to like punch a hole through a wall and then, you know, Beautifully said, but now uh, to be honest with you, I have like eight questions in a row. So we're going to, I want to stay on this topic until I've officially pissed off Nico and Tomer so badly that they say, fuck you live on air. You and then we will change, you change the topic. Piss me off. Tomer uh, is me. the most even keeled person I've ever yeah, met in my life. Yeah, I noticed that too. Also, <laughs> you've thrown down the gauntlet. I'm going to be. <laughs> I mean, look, I've been talking about Ethereum for the first 20 minutes. of the, We talked about Elvin Dixon Ethereum. <laughs> more than we've talked about Bitcoin so far, but I promise you we will come back to the magic orange coin. Is the, I want to just follow up on what we've been talking about to, to both of you, Nico and Tomer. Is the difficult, difficulty bomb meant to condition Ethereum folks to be used to being subservient to developers, or is there another maybe less nefarious reason? No, it's nefarious. It. It's nefarious. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, BitMEX. BitMEX is one of the biggest supporters of the Bitcoin space in the last decade, actively donating to developers and putting out some of the most cited research articles. What you might not know is that BitMEX recently launched a brand new spot exchange and mobile app that takes the experience of buying and holding to the next level. We know that, especially in uncertain market conditions, you need an exchange that is trustworthy and innovative. Sign up at bitmex.com today Check out the BitMEX blog for some great market insights and stay tuned to our podcast for more from their team. I just want to let you know that tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam are on sale now. The largest Bitcoin conference in Europe will take place from October 12th to 14th, 
More details can be found at b.tc forward slash conference forward slash Amsterdam. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your Bitcoin Amsterdam tickets today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The, the most read article I've ever written, as far as all the traffic I can get, is called The Problem with Ethereum. And it basically highlights the early history of Ethereum and how the difficulty bomb, which could and should have been dismantled, disarmed, was never disarmed in all the hard forks that came up. It was merely they like the developers who could have disarmed the difficulty bomb instead just set the clock forward on it so that they would have to come to the rescue again in the future. So it's always been positioned as like it was initially positioned as we promised as the developers to deliver proof of stake by sometime in like, I think 2017 or some really early date. And that's why the difficulty bomb is there to force our hand to deliver proof of stake by, by that time. And then, they weren't able to deliver it. So what did they do? They hard forked to push the time for the difficulty bomb further away and do other things that benefited the developers in the interim, which was typically to benefit the wealthiest Ethereans, which the developers are often by reducing the reward that miners got paid just arbitrarily, right? And then burning the fees that miners got paid. And each time the difficulty bomb was delayed, rather than disarmed. And so if you're if you're actually thinking, oh, you know what? We never it was a com- compulsion on the developers to deliver proof of stake by a certain time. It clearly wasn't that. Nobody was ever worried that the difficulty bomb would be allowed to activate unless the developers delivered proof of stake. No, everybody knew this is an opportunity for the developers to meddle with the code because you because if you didn't hard fork, the system would stop running. And this is why, like, it's so fundamentally different to me, right? Like, Bitcoin is built to last forever. I know I've said this, but Bitcoin is built to last forever that you can't stop it. Whether you take mining power away or add mining, it's just going to be on an even keel, 10-minute blocks on average, no matter how much energy is put into it, how little or how much. And Ethereum has been built to grind to a halt unless you hand over the entire code base to developers to hard fork it and change the rules. It'll come to a grinding halt. This is so fundamentally different. It couldn't be more different. Absolutely. Oh, nope. Not trying to leave you guys all alone with P. Um, <laughs> Nico, I want to I build so off lucky. of... I want to build off of what you were also talking about. And, you know, we have... You explained some attack vectors. Are there any others that come to your mind off the top of your head specific to non-Bitcoin projects. It could be Ethereum, it could be other projects, but these attack vectors that essentially Bitcoin had solved for, but then some founder who just wanted to be rich <clears throat> essentially goes ahead and reintroduces these problems without realizing, like, what are some other examples of Yeah, I mean, I think Tomer said it perfectly, and I think it really stems down to one thing, right, is that central planning does not work, right? The famous saying, the road to hell is paved in good intentions, right? And I think that I'm going to take a little bit of a contrarian approach and say, 
I don't think that Vitalik or any of the ETH devs were maliciously saying, ha, I just genuinely think they think they know what's best, right? And if you look at Bitcoin and you actually look at the United States too, one of the most important things, you know, the founding father, George Washington did was step away, right? So that he wouldn't become a king, right? And now if you, you look at Satoshi, right? One of the most important things Satoshi did was step away and remain anonymous and just let it go, right? What you're seeing with Vitalik is I could centrally plan this thing to perfection and all the all the all the faults are just starting to show up and it's going to continue to show up. How long have been they been they've been migrating to proof of stake for the longest time, right? So look Bitcoin is simple for a reason. It does one thing and it does it really well. And what a lot of these, you know, a lot of these shit coins they do is that, yeah, they might add more functionality. Yeah, it might be quicker. It might be faster. But the fundamental problem comes down to this. They sacrifice decentralization in the process of doing those things. Decentralization and security. And everyone's just playing pretend that that's not important. Well, it is important. You want to change things, you do that. Bitcoin successfully separated the monetary policy out of the hands of human beings. It took it, it ripped it out of them, saying, hey, no, can't do this. And with Ethereum, guys, haven't learned, even though we have thousands of years of history, the Romans did the same thing. They debased the goddamn currency. And, it, like, and people are like, oh, it's inflation. You really think about what inflation is, right? They just sent $500 billion to Ukraine. Whether you agree with it politically or not is, is irrelevant. The fact is that when they did that, they stole from you. If you're an American, if you're using the U.S. dollar, which a lot of the world is, they stole from you to pay for their stuff. And it comes down to, I don't think any human being has the power to be a king over currency. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And only Bitcoin has been able to successfully figure out Dude, no. Rules without rulers. You, the individual, get to decide if you're running a, your own node, which you totally should be at this point. You get to decide what Bitcoin software you want to run, what Bitcoin software you don't want to run. If you look at all these shitcoins with the hard forks and whatever, a hard fork is basically holding a gun to your head and say, hey, if you don't go along with our new rules, your whatever is worthless. So how is that different than what we have today? How is that fundamentally different? It's the same thing, right? There's a group of elite people, whether it's the government, whether it's the Ethereum Foundation, and they're getting to decide what's best for everybody else. And everyone else just goes along for the ride. Like, it, it, it's, it's absolutely disgusting. And if you look, for example, if you look at XRP, it's the same garbage. It's the same garbage. If you look at Solana, you remember what happened with Solana, bros? Remember that? Dude, the blockchain shut down two times. Do you think you're going to be capable of separating money from state if it's so easily captured? No, you're not, right? And that's what people lose sight of. But, dude, honestly, it's really our responsibility to continue calling it out because no one else will. Everyone will just be like, oh, you know, I got wealthy off this crap coin. I got wealthy off this. It's really up to us to really make that difference win over hearts and minds, right? And I think, you know, 
Tomer, you're doing a great job at Swan. You guys are absolute legends killing it here at Bitcoin Magazine Live. So it's the same thing, man. It, this is about winning hearts and minds and getting people to take self-custody. If enough people take self-custody, we win this revolution. Absolutely. There's absolutely nothing they could do. No, I meant the other one about Phil's ex-girlfriend because that had me dying laughing. But... I, I present the question now to, to all three of you of, do we want to keep going down this rabbit hole? Or I actually now, Nico, you've really, you lit something inside of me to, to discuss just nation states broadly, if we can pivot for a hot sec. So we have your nation state of your homeland of Venezuela dealing with <laughs> crippling inflation. We have my homeland of Iran dealing with crippling inflation. We just talked about a story where the Iranian government has for years now gone almost to the exact opposite end of the spectrum to dealing with Bitcoin when they're not even allowed to have US dollars. They're under such strict sanctions. You have Venezuela creating the CBDC. At what point, what is the what is going to be the breaking point? And I want everyone to answer this. So I'm going to start P in all seriousness, like what is the breaking point in your opinion of a nation state? And then we'll go to Tomer and then finally Nico for a nation state to almost, and I'll say it in a weird way, pull in El Salvador, adopt Bitcoin as legal tender and lean into this revolution rather than try to find a way to hold on to the last bastion of fucking power that they think they have. I think it's a great question and it's a hard one to answer because it isn't as simple as saying, you know, when does a nation state or the powers that be within that nation state understand that Bitcoin is the best medium term, long term option for their country? There are these forces, you know, the World Economic Forum, you know, the, the World Bank that are actively working to sabotage these these countries. And, and it truly is as significant as sabotage. I mean, they are actively trying to push these insane debt repayment schedules and debt on these countries in order to keep them in check and to force them to basically toe the party line. So I, I honestly, I think it's, it's a great question. It is very, very difficult to answer because it's not as simple as just saying like, when do they realize Bitcoin is good? It's like, when can they when are individual leaders, when are the, 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 the groups of leaders in these individual countries in a position to effectively throw off the shackles of, of the existing you know, bullshit financial system? I wish I could give a better answer, but I think it's, it's, it's very difficult. No, and I will, before cutting you off, Tomer, like, look, I don't expect anyone here to have the perfect answer. If we did, you and, you and whoever, me and whoever has that perfect answer, buying you a flight to Vegas and we're going right now. Wait, what? <laughs> if you, I'm just saying, so, if you could read the future and tell me perfectly what's going to happen, I have a plane ticket right. to Vegas and I'll meet you there. Got it. So I don't have a perfect vision into the future. I just think in many countries, the US dollar is accepted as a black market currency because people want it over the currency of the, of the country because the currency of the country is so regularly debased and so extensively debased that people will say, give me us dollars because it has that trust. I think we're, I think that's what we're more likely to see than nations declaring Bitcoin, their official currency, because it's the nations that are the one it's the people in charge of the nations who are the ones who benefit the most from debasing the currency. They print money, 
for nothing. They get money for free and everybody else works for money and everybody else who does all the work has their work and time essentially stolen from them. So I think what we're going to see is countries, populations from the bottom up start to accept Bitcoin and start to use Bitcoin. And so this is why it's really important that things like Lightning get good distribution and and that Bitcoin itself just gets really good distribution in all these other countries. And we'll probably see it tip the latest in the United States and in other countries with more stable currencies like Canada and, and Western Europe, because we can kind of, you know, we have a banking infrastructure. It's got all the problems that Nico was describing, but that's that's at least an infrastructure, whereas many other nations don't even have an infrastructure and where they're suffering from hyperinflation and it's harder and harder to get U.S. dollars, more and more people are starting to gradually wake up to the alternative that is Bitcoin. Nico, what do you think? Yeah, so I'm going to use a little bit less, like I'm going to use a different type of way of thinking about this. And another component as well is I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't, you know, I can't tell you what the future is, but I can tell you this. I believe the countries that least benefit from the legacy financial system will be the, f the quickest to adopt Bitcoin. Let me give you two real world examples that's already happened. El Salvador. El Salvador does not control their monetary policy. They outsource that to the United States. They don't really have power. They don't have the money printer power. Also, Central African Republic. Also, they use a currency that they don't control the monetary policy of. Right? So... And then you also look at Panama. Panama kind of made it legal tender. Kind of. It's weird because it's not. It is. It's strange. Panama uses the dollar. So I suspect that same pattern is going to continue to happen. Countries that don't benefit from controlling their monetary policy, also known as being able to print their own money, they're going to say, hey, this Bitcoin thing might as well give it a shot because their governments don't really have much to lose. In fact, they have something to gain. But if you're like Argentina or Turkey, for example, crippling inflation, but the governments get to print their own money to fund their own bureaucracy, eh, doesn't really make sense. And if you actually look at Argentina, Argentina is fascinating because that bailout, Argentina has been bailed out by the, by the, the, I think it's the IMF like six times, continues making the same mistake. One of the requirements from the IMF is to de-incentivize to use their words, cryptocurrency adoption in the country, right? So, yeah, man, I, I don't think the people that benefit from the power of the money printer, <laughs> they're going to try to hold on to that to the very last. But there is some cogn like cosmic justice is that the countries that got so hurt the most from the current dollar system we have today are the countries that we're seeing adopt Bitcoin the fastest, meaning those are the countries that are going to benefit first from Bitcoin. And we had Lord Fusuitoa, who was a member of parliament of the, the kingdom of Tonga. And he was actually thinking about making Bitcoin legal tender in the kingdom of Tonga, which makes sense. Like, what do they stand to lose? If the U.S. government made Bitcoin legal tender, it would it would give people a question that's a very hard question for the government to respond to, which is, why am I being forced to earn in a money that is designed to lose purchasing power over time? What is going on here? 
And Bitcoin, like it does with everything, shines a light of truth on that. And it says, yo, nah. So they don't know what to do about it. But I, I'll tell you this, and you see this by the actions of the Treasury, by them being hostile towards Bitcoin, using lawfare, and then arresting this open source developer, which sends a message to everybody saying, hey, we are in control here. It's still ours. So, yeah, man, I, like I said, I think the countries that least benefit from, Bitcoin, from, from the dollar, from the legacy system, are going to be the quickest to adopt Bitcoin, which is already being shown by El Salvador and Central African Republic. And the countries that most benefit from the power of the money printer, Europe, the United States, China, they're going to try to hold on to that to the very last second. But the cosmic justice in that is that the countries that were the wealthiest for the longest amount of time are going to be the 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 last to benefit from bitcoin so we got a hell of a hell of a fight in front of us boys it's it's definitely they're not going to go gently into that good night and they're definitely not going to go give up the keys willingly it has to be a grass movements thing where enough people on a political level on the lower level say enough is enough and the one last thing before I shut up is in the United States, what I've noticed over the last, I would say, one to two years, unfortunately, it's only coming from the right, which I, I, I hope this will change because Bitcoin is bipartisan at the end of the day. What you're starting to see, right, is you're starting to see calls to end the Fed. You see this from Tim Pool, it's a huge broadcaster. You saw that by Steve Bannon at CPAC. He had a he had a speech about a year, like about a week or two ago. See this from Jack Posobiec. You saw you've mentioned you've heard this mentioned by by Tucker Carlson. If we start to see people on the on the left, predominant people on the left, start to say thing, start to say the same thing, they start to realize, hey. Maybe it's not the conservatives that are messing with us. Maybe on the left, maybe on the conservative side, they say maybe it's not the left that's messing with us. Maybe it's the fact that they're stealing from us. Whether you're on the left or the right, that is true. Your government is stealing to is stealing from you through inflation. If enough people wake up to that fact, unless you live in a totalitarian country right, like China, for example, it's going to be very difficult for the bureaucracy, the administrative state, the central bankers to stop you, you know, so that's what I'm hopeful for. I know I got a little sidetracked, but anyways. Oh, both you and Tomer need to understand, people are not here to hear P and I, they're here for you too. So do not apologize for your long-winded rants. That's why we want you here. We still got another 50 minutes. So by all means, be more long-winded. Like, Honestly, you're both, your answers are both too short, so please allow me that. If you could double uh, or you triple You don't know what you're rate. asking for. Be careful what you wish for. Can I jump in really quick? And Please, please. I, I know, Tomer, you've got two different things behind you, and I love the framing. What is the thing that is on your left, over your left shoulder? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, there we go. Tell us about that and what that means and why it's significant. So this is a uh, coin... Infinity Day private key number three of 21 by, by the artist known as Fractal Encrypt. I don't know, maybe I can pick up my computer and give you a slightly closer view of it. Uh, he, he made, so, and yesterday was Coin Infinity Day, of yeah. August 8th, the 8th of August. And so Fractal Encrypt is a 
great artist in the Bitcoin space. He made these wonderful full node sculptures. And uh, I, I, I think the, the story around this was in, in honor of Bitcoin Infinity Day, he wanted to make a series of artworks. These private keys he made, and he only sold one of them. He made 21, not surprisingly. And he only sold number eight the, at an at a auction. The others he gave to people who, who taught him something about Bitcoin, I think, was the, was the challenge. So a bunch of us tried to offer some new knowledge in a Twitter thread, and I was fortunate enough to, to get his blessing and be given key number three. Key number three. So, and he's a good friend of mine. And so is Knut Sven Holm, who's kind of, in a sense, the grandfather of the, or the father of Bitcoin Infinity Day, because he is somehow credited with having come up with the meme, everything divided by 21 million. So that's what that's all about. Love it. <laughs> oh, shit. Who let him back has in? joined the, the party. Yellow, I, I don't think I've ever done a YouTube stream that Yellow hasn't jumped in on. So I assume he jumped in on all YouTube streams. There may be he's, many Yellows. He's, he's kind of omnipotent. It's, it's quite disturbing, really. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to be convinced, though, that Yellow is secretly a CIA agent. Also, on the topic of CIA agents, like how much do we put credence or believe the idea that Bitcoin was actually founded by the CIA and Satoshi is a CIA agent? They stand the most. <laughs> they stand to mo- They they stand the most to lose because again, that's yeah. a government agency that benefits from the money printer and that gives them an unlimited budget. You know, and the Bitcoin really is a threat to that. So, I don't know. I would say debunks, but you can never know for sure who Satoshi is. So it's definitely possible. When a different permutation of this question would be, what is your favorite Bitcoin conspiracy theory, Tomer? Since Nico answered last. I'm curious to hear yours, and then let's jump back to you, Nico, and and hear yours. I mean, what do you consider Bitcoin conspiracy theories? I just want to know in what space. Anything, anything is on the table. There, let's say something. I, no, Pete, you talk about insect milk and bug meat. That is not much, a conspiracy theory. Too 100% much. 100 real. Any limitations on the guest. Little insect teats. It's good to go. You know, go I'm not really big on what I deem to be, I guess I don't deem anything that I believe to be a conspiracy theory, but I, I think it, I think what it all comes down to is there's really bad incentives out there. And so the, they don't require a conspiracy of people who share the same incentive to all act in concert. Right. And, and this is what we see. It's like, it doesn't, we don't need Klaus Schwab to say, let's secretly inject people with ineffective vaccines it's just like the opportunity is there. The whole world is in a panic and you're a vaccine manufacturer and you have the opportunity, if you're a salesperson, to go and make the sale of a lifetime, which is to go to some country's government and say, I want to buy for every citizen in my country four doses of your product and I want them all to take it. And so you're, you as a salesperson, not a scientist, not someone who's particularly concerned with anything but a big commission check, are going to say whatever you need to say to make the sale, right? You're, you are no better than a used car salesman, which is the slur, but that's what ends up, that's what ends up happening in these systems. And because the people who are buying these are just printing the money and they don't have to earn it and they don't have to ask for it, they just print it, there's probably being entertained by the salesperson. It's a trip to a private island or, or something here or there. And so the, the incentives keep breaking. And fiat is such a terrible incentive because somebody gets all the money for nothing, for no effort, 
and they're even incentivized again to to they win their elections by saying i will give you free money because mm -hmm. i you're electing me to be the free money hander outer and so that's the whole big problem and that's what bitcoin fixes and that's why bitcoin fixes all of these things that look like terrible conspiracies they're far worse than conspiracies because if they were conspiracies you could kill the conspirators or arrest them but it's it's the incentive system that's buried in mm -hmm. a money printer based economy so sorry to not give you a, oh that was actually an excellent answer, answer. that was an excellent non-answer answer <laughs> there you go i also love nico it looks like yellow snuck into your hotel room he always does this it's common occurrence <laughs> weird supernatural and extremely he's, exciting. He's right next to my Wait, girlfriend. Wait, is Yellow your girlfriend? Strange. He's next to my girlfriend. girlfriend. Is in your bed? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'd be very careful. Yeah, I don't know. He it's... might not be your girlfriend for very much longer. And he's already yeah. naked, so. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Okay. At least he's covering his, his genitals yeah. with his hands. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here, Yellow. <laughs> okay. All right. Fixed. Anyways, so, yeah, Tomer nailed, the, he, he hit the nail on the head. The fundamental problem and I think that's really why you're seeing such a political divide between both sides, right? Is everyone on a fundamental level knows something is wrong, right? They, they get it. There, there's like an inert feeling and there's just two different political solutions, two, two different ideological solutions to it. But it won't fix the problem. That's the thing. It won't fix the fundamental issue. And the fundamental issue is that you have to work for a money that someone else can create for free. And that misaligns all of the incentives. How do we, how do we live in a society, right, that, look, everyone's like, oh, the United States is a market, market society and whatever. It's like, dude, the Fed gets to pick and choose <laughs> what the Fed got to pick and choose in 2008, what banks survived, what banks didn't survive. The Fed gets to pick and choose whether the, the, the stock market goes up or not. Like, what is that? It, it, it's so broken. And if you look at the wealth inequality, man, since coincidentally, another coincidence since 1971, it just continues to go up. And why is that? When they print money, the lower it's a wealth redistribution from the lower and middle classes that don't have the means to save in assets and the wealthy benefit from asset inflation because they have you know their their wealth in real estate equities etc cetera, etc cetera. and they their 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 stuff gets pumped and then everybody else that's working day to day paycheck to paycheck they get screwed and it's like, what are they doing with this with this money that they print? They're just sending it overseas. They're not even. It's not, it's not even being focused here. The whole system is designed in this in this terrible way. It misaligns incentives, and it makes. A, I don't. I don't believe that a lot of these bankers are fundamentally evil. They're just acting on their own incentives. But the system is so. It's so badly architected that you're looking at them and you're like, yo, like. These people, are, they're twirling their mustaches, scheming and saying, "Ugh, you know, like these crazy people, you know, but I think it all comes down to fiat and Bitcoin. Everybody can win. Sure. Michael Saylor has a lot more purchasing power than most of us. Right. But we still benefit from the pump just as much as he does. He can't change Bitcoin. The pleb that has 0.01 and Michael Saylor 
have the same amount of voting power. They have the same amount of influence over Bitcoin. And if you look at fiat, that's totally fundamentally different. If I have more US dollars than you, I have more influence over the network. And then tie this in with the shitcoinery that we were talking about earlier on in the show. Same thing. If I have more Ethereum, I'm a bigger, I'm a bigger staker than you. Therefore, I have more influence over the network than you. We we figured out a solution. We figured out humanity took the next step. It tied money to energy. Why the hell aren't people doubling down on this? And this is something that I've gone over in my head over and over and over again. And it's just a matter of education. It's just a matter of waking the people up that are still in the fiat matrix, shaking them and be like, yo, it's not the people on the right. It's not the people on the left. <laughs> You're fighting the wrong people. It's the fact that your money that you have to work and sweat and earn literally steals from you every single day and you get absolutely no benefit. In fact, if you look at the bill that was just passed, they hired 87,000 IRS agents and they used the inflation of which the government, the Republicans and the Democrats caused by printing too much money and they used that as an excuse to hire more armed goons to go after you. Like, the thing is just so fundamentally broken, and this is why we must separate money from state, or we will continue enduring endless wars. The poor will get poorer. The rich will get richer. The rich will start to come up with schemes to, 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 to amass their wealth, to keep their wealth, which is to tie it in with what P always says. They're trying to slowly incept people with the idea that eating bugs is a good thing. That literally comes from broken money. If you look back at the root cause, that it, it all stems from that. We've just been living in a world where the money has been broken for 50 years. I would say it's even more than that, but it really, really got disconnected from reality the moment they took it off the gold standard. So yeah, man, if, to, Chris said it perfectly. If you don't address the root problem and you're expecting different results, you're a crazy person. You know, I would jump in with one more thought here that takes us back to the very first question you started with Nico and I on, which was the Ethereum merge and what's going on in Ethereum. And again, the incentives, we both made this point now that the incentives are what's broken and the incentives remain broken in Ethereum, right? And so it's not a step forward it's a step backward. Moving to proof of stake is a step backwards, giving the people who have all the money, all the power and all the money. It's just recreating the problem that Satoshi tried to solve and did solve in creating Bitcoin. So it's like, how can you think it's better, right? And it's just, it's, it's biting, it's missing the whole point to say, well, the whole point of, of this is to use less energy. It's like, no, the whole point is to stop those who have power from having complete and absolute power that they'll completely and absolutely abuse and proof of stake saying those who have the most wealth get to determine what the rules are and get all the reward of new money is clearly without any analysis of the technology behind it. It's clearly philosophically corrupt. There's no fixing it in code after the fact, like we're giving all the new issuance of money supply to the people who have the most amount of money and the decision as to what is valid in the chain and not valid in the chain is determined by those who have the most money. Have fun. Staying, Staying poor. poor. <laughs>
So, Q, it looked like you were about to say something. Uh, I, so I, I wanted to take us in a totally different direction. And, you know, we spend, all four of us are, are deeply mired in because we love it, the Bitcoin space. But I'm also curious, and I'm always curious, what, oh man, there's some incredible flashing happening on your, on your camera, Nico. It's gone now. It's gone now. It looked like you were getting sucked into the matrix in real time. I'm curious what you guys spend your time focused on outside of Bitcoin. Like, what are some of the things that you take a lot of pleasure in that you enjoy spending time doing that are not at least on the face of it, Bitcoin related. I expect you both to relate it all the way back to Bitcoin, regardless of what you say, but go for it. Tomer, you want to go first? Okay. I, so I spent a lot of time writing. I, a lot of that is spent writing about Bitcoin, but I'm trying to spread my wings and write about other things. Again, if everything is about Bitcoin at the end of the day, but I'm, I'm trying to write more philosophical stuff that isn't purely, or that doesn't have Bitcoin in the title or Bitcoin even... In the in the article or in the in the piece that I'm writing, I'm trying to create a science fiction, which is really visionary fiction, which is prophetic vision, like what what the future might and could look like if we do a good job as stewards of the planet. So that's one of the things that I'm really spending a lot of my time on. And I, and to get there, I spend a lot of time meditating and trying to envision where where positive things could happen. And I'm trying to really live. A, a not angry life, right? <laughs> like coiners have got so upset and so irritated by all the shit coinery that goes on that misconstrues and misleads people away from what the mission of Bitcoin actually is. But I'm trying not to get caught up in that all the time because I find that the the rage that it drives is maybe not as helpful as we want it to be. And I know Nico's expressed a, a different point of view earlier on, and I'm not saying we shouldn't call out falsehoods. I'm just saying we shouldn't let it poison us, right? This isn't about, oh, we shouldn't be toxic because it scares away other people. This isn't about other people. This is about for our own spirits and our own souls. We're happier when we're hanging out with other Bitcoiners talking about Bitcoin, not bemoaning somebody who's running a scam and our disappointment that some other people have been fooled by that scam. So I'm trying to spend as much time as I can in this very positive state of of mind and healthy, like psychologically healthy position and physically healthy position as well, if that makes sense. It does. 100, 100%. Yeah, man. Look, I'm sure that you, you know, I love what I do. The, you know, when the camera goes on, when the lights go on, it's like, it's go time. Making content is extremely exhausting. So when I'm not doing it, I'm just trying to unplug and I just try to take it easy. I am very, very blessed and privileged to, to be living in Puerto Rico right now. So I go to the beach, take off my, you know, take off my socks, just like try to ground myself, just go out for that. And then, you know, that one day a week that I do get some free time, you know, go try to leave my phone and, you know, go to dinner with my girlfriend. But that's really what my life has been for last year and a half, two years. I travel a lot, but it's always to Bitcoin events. You know, like I was at a beefsteak last night. It's just Bitcoin. Everyone's just talking about Bitcoin the entire time. So, yeah, man. I mean, look, I think there's that really famous saying, right? Which is, if you love what you do, then it's not really a job. And I'm in this extremely privileged position that I don't look past that I really, really, really love what I do right now. And I'm just just soaking it in, and I understand I'm extremely privileged. But I mean, dude, 
the five or five or six years that it took me to get here, you know, um, were extremely, they were very difficult, man. They're very, very difficult. I endured a lot of things and I'm just really kind of soaking it in day by day and just enjoying the whole process, man. I, I really, you know, I wake up and, and I, and I really feel like we are, we are living through this peaceful revolution. Thank God it's not kinetic. Thank God there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, unlike the church, the separation of church and state, there's no heads being chopped off. Thank God. Right. But it is warfare. It's information yeah. warfare. Has been yet. Oh God. I hope I hope not, Q. I, I hope I really hope that the transition isn't as fast because if it's a if it's a and it's not as slow either, but if it's if it's if it's the right speed and enough people that are Bitcoiners get into positions of power, get into positions of influence, I don't think I don't think hopefully it won't be as bloody as the church church and state separation. So yeah, man, that's really what I'm hopeful. But so far, my hopes and reality have not aligned very well. So, anyways, so are you possibly alluding to not a twenty twenty four run, but potentially a a twenty twenty eight run for president? Do we need to get a Nico twenty twenty eight banners? Started I wasn't out there? born. I wasn't born here, dude. So I'm not. That's you know, right. I I can't run for I mean, president. I I, I think. Oh God! <laughs> so I, I think that that was that, for that, you, Rumble Crowd. <laughs> the the Rumble Crowd loves that stuff. Yes, they do, bro. You put and the Fed in the title, the Rumble Cloud explodes. Okay. Anyways, back to the topic. No, I, I dude, like everyone's. You got to play your strengths, right? I think you know. Just, I think I'm better served just behind the microphone. I could reach out more people than you know doing anything in the swamp of I think it's fundamentally broken. I don't think that I think it's totally irrelevant. I think it's a matter of like if you get the right people in office, then they won't hit you with a very big stick, but they'll hit you with some sort of stick. I think it's really about just convincing more and more people to take their bitcoin into self-custody. If enough people do it, there's absolutely nothing they could do because it's just people transacting with each other. What are you going to do? And if you look at developing countries, they they skipped that completely because there is no developed financial rails over there, right? So if you look at Nigeria, you look at Venezuela, right? It's all peer to peer. There's like giant WhatsApp groups, and they're like, "Yo, I'm selling, you know, a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin." Someone's like, "Yeah, you know, I'll pay Bolivars for that. I'll pay U.S. dollars for that. I'll pay you in gold." You know, and it's like kind of that's the way that it functions. And it's like, how do you stop that? And now imagine the majority of the population already just completely circumventing the government money and just using Bitcoin. And the UN released a paper last week that literally said, we must de-incentivize the adoption of cryptocurrencies in developing countries. So you know it puts the fear of God in them. Like they don't know what to do about this. And the reason that I believe we win at the end is because the only thing they have left is coercion. While we have incentives, we have much stronger incentives than anything they can come up with because governments can't help themselves but release a currency of which they could debase and of which they have total control of. Because they can't give up those two things, we win at the end. I want you to unpack what are these incentives that give us this victory because there is another side of this. Where, and I went down this path one time with Svetsky in a, in a Twitter spaces where there is a 
possibility and you can gauge it however you want, but there is a possibility that somehow, some way, the nation states actually do successfully attack Bitcoin in whatever way that may be. And I guess first what I want to figure out with you guys here is what are those possible attack points? What are the weak points of Bitcoin that sometimes we in this space try to ignore or try to very quickly say this isn't that big of an issue? And, and I'll, I'll chime in with a couple that come to the top of my head. First being not holding your own keys. That right there is the biggest attack vector, in my opinion. If you leave all your keys on Coinbase, boom, Coinbase could just as easily be taken over and then you're fucked. Another one that I genuinely actually have some concerns about, although based on no facts whatsoever, we process too many microchips out of Taiwan. And should anything get a little bit more hairy in Taiwan between Taiwan and China, we could be looking at getting all of our microchips for Bitcoin mining as well as practically everything else in our lives from China. Again, opening ourselves up to a potential nation state attack. Am I just like the fucking crazy idiot guy on this show right now throwing these out there? Are these legitimate things that we should be concerned about? Are there other things we should be concerned about to protect those incentives, Nico, that you're talking about to allow us to be ultimately successful? Yeah. So I think the China one is is a very good point. And it was actually one of the reasons why Blockstream acquired that Israeli company. And one of the reasons that Adam Back said there is, without a doubt, it's not even the chips being manufactured in Taiwan. The majority of ASICs right now are being manufactured in a country that's openly hostile towards Bitcoin, right? Let's say they stop that manufacturing, they ban it. That would just make the, the price of other miners go up. The difficulty adjustment would do its thing. So on a long-term scale, that doesn't really concern me. But the two things that concern me that I've been covering are there's two main attacks. There's the attack on Bitcoin's proof of work. And it's extremely well-funded. It's very well thought out. It's extremely coordinated. And they're going after it savagely to the point that New York, they've convinced New York State to have funds staying poor banning Bitcoin mining, right? That is what they're going to try to do. Senators about last week sent a letter to public mining companies that aren't even based in the state they're based in, right? And it's a questioning Bitcoin's energy usage, coincidentally, always the coincidences, advocating for, you know what? Proof of stake. If you look at the cleaning up cryptocurrency committee that they had in Congress, what do you mean cleaning up? What does that mean? We know that Bitcoin will incentivize green energy, but of course, doesn't fit the narrative. So that's one. I do not believe this has anything to do with the climate. I, I, I really I really gave them the benefit of the doubt for a year and a half. But then when Sailor launched you know, the Bitcoin Mining Council, when David Zell, Bitcoin Policy Institute, amazing work, just rebuke after rebuke after rebuke. And the mainstream media kept going with the same talking points. It makes you question, are they really concerned about climate? Or are they really concerned about getting to pick and choose what energy usage you're entitled to use and what energy usage you're not entitled to use? And then I found the smoking gun. In Europe, there was some leaked texts from po European politicians that said we must attack the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin price and we must advocate for proof of stake. Why proof of stake? Proof of stake can and will be captured by governments, meaning the status quo remains the same. 
And then, right, to add the cherry on top, in Norway, Norway is very interesting because 98% of the energy production in Norway comes from renewable energy sources, 100% of the Bitcoin mining, 100% of the Bitcoin mining in Norway comes from renewable energy. You know what they try to do? They still try to ban Bitcoin mining. So... What is going on here? I do not believe that attack will be successful because the incentives of Bitcoin mining will outcompete anything that they'll provide. The example that I always give is China. China bans the majority of Bitcoin mining within its borders without any central party telling these people to do so. They, distri they distributed themselves all around the world, whether it's Kazakhstan, Texas, Montana, Washington State, some in El Salvador, they just went everywhere. And it was it people telling to, you know, do this? No, it was people following the profit incentives. And the profit incentive was so strong that it's estimated that between 10 to 15% of the hash rate is still located in China. Imagine that in the most totalitarian country in the world. The Bitcoin incentive is so strong, people are willing to mine Bitcoin even if it means prison. And Wait a second. Maybe it's not even people. Maybe it's maybe it's just government bureaucrats themselves, right? That's the beautiful incentives of Bitcoin. So that's attack number one. I think we'll win that one. The one that we won't win so easily, and the one that it really keeps me up at night. And Q, you touched upon this, right? Is the battle for self custody, right? If we if we look at what Cynthia Lummis did, Cynthia Lummis tried to get ahead of it and Senator Congressman Warren Davidson as well. And some of the bills that they're trying to pass is giving Americans the right, which is absolutely crazy, the right to protect themselves with self-custody, right? So why are they putting that into law if they didn't see what was coming, right? And the reason that I believe this attack will be more successful, and again, that falls to us, content creators, educators, is because most people, when they buy Bitcoin, let's say they use you know shitcoin exchange Coinbase, right? And they buy Bitcoin. They look at their phone, they're like, yo, I own this. Explaining to self-custody to people is like, I always get reminded of that, that scene from The Matrix, right? Like, you literally have to take someone out of the fiat matrix. You, you have to teach them personal responsibility where they've been outsourcing that personal responsibility to banks, which they've abused that, of course. You have to explain it to them, and it's extremely radical, and it, it hits people it hits different people differently, right? Like, for example, my, my girlfriend's parents. I got them to self-custody. I got them a multi-sig, right? The whole nine yards. Dude, it was like, who do I call if this happens? Like, no one. You just got to do it right, right? It's such a crazy concept. But think about how humans were storing wealth before, <laughs> before there was banks, right? It's like, you can do it. If you use multi-sig properly, you geographically separate your keys. You're Gucci. You're good. But teaching people that is a very it's a very difficult process. And I think that's where governments are going to exploit it. They're going to use words like money laundering. They're going to use words like terrorism. If we don't get to control your keys, eh. and that's just not only me speculating it, you're already starting to hear the lingo being developed. Unhosted wallet. As if the hosted wallet was the normal one. I don't remember seeing hosted wall in the white paper. It doesn't exist. It's a made-up term. It's a made-up term that they're using to fit their narrative. If we at the government don't get to decide how you can and how you cannot use your money, the world will burn down. And that is something that 
we have to spend a lot of time educating people on. And that also comes down to personal responsibility. If you don't have personal responsibility, the Bitcoin revolution doesn't work. Sorry, my camera overheated. They're fixed. Anyways, so yeah, man, it, it, these things do concern me a lot. No, they don't concern me. Not because I don't think we need to be concerned about it, but because I believe that Bitcoiners will rise to the occasion as they did in the user-activated soft fork fork wars. And I believe that really the only vulnerability that Bitcoin faces, which it doesn't face anywhere in the near term, is the loss of vigilance amongst Bitcoiners. Bitcoin is this anti-fragile system that is preserved by all these features that have been added to Bitcoin to extend its survivability, right? Bitcoin doesn't actually go on the attack. If you attack Bitcoin, Bitcoin doesn't attack you back. It just absorbs your attack and, and survives it or dies. But so far, it hasn't died. And all of these attack vectors are things that you can see when, when they come up. So this one that Nico's most concerned about, the government saying you must use a hosted wallet. As soon as these terms get invented and come up, we show up en masse and start educating and explaining and holding a holiday called Proof of Keys Day, take your coins off the exchange. And we all change our slogans to take your coins off the exchange. And we help people take their coins off the exchange and keep them private so that they can't be seized by government. And we're there fighting every attack that comes up. And it doesn't, it doesn't, not each of us has to fight each and every attack that comes up, but there's enough people with enough knowledge and enough ability that whatever attack comes up, we're there to defend Bitcoin survivability against it. And so, and the only way that any attack would ever succeed is if we weren't vigilant and were passive and let it happen. And I think that the Bitcoin movement today is filled with people who are not going to sit back and watch and watch terrible things happen to Bitcoin. The incentives, as Nico was saying, and as other people have been saying on this call, the incentives are to keep it alive, especially once you put your wealth in it, right? Now you've got skin in the game and you want to figure it out. And that was another big driver of what led to the success in the block size wars, right? We had skin in the game. We weren't just playing a game with okay, if we lose, we'll just respawn. And, you know, if we lose, we'll just start over again. Maybe we win next time. We got one shot at this, one chance, and we recognize that, and we're, and we're fighting for it. And, and we're doing so in a nonviolent manner because we have math on our side and we have information on our side, and that's, that's what we're using, right? The cypherpunk manifesto, which predated Bitcoin by 16 years or 26 years or, some, or something, was basically it had that line in it. We don't much care whether you approve of the software we run. We know that software is almost impossible to destroy. Information spreads freely. And, and that's all that it takes for Bitcoin to continue to survive. So I don't want to oversimplify it. I don't want to suggest, oh, you have nothing to worry about. I'd say, I don't worry because I know we all worry and we all fight for what we believe in. And in fighting for what we believe in, we have asymmetric advantage on our side, even though they've got all the guns, we've got math and we've got physics and all the guns in the world can't stop math and they can't stop physics. And they yep. never will be able to. But hold on, let me push back a little bit on that, Tomer. And I, I'm very curious to see what you respond to this. One of the things that I always run into, one of the problems, right, is you know getting specifically if they're, the, if they're over the age of 
40, I'm 40 is too young, over the age of 50, what I've tended to realize, I mean, but yeah, but you're a very special person, Tom. Not, not that many people could do what you do. If one of the things I always realize is, dude, they have trouble. They have trouble taking self-custody. And, it, and sure. if people don't self-custody, we don't win this. It, it, it's just a continue. They'll rehypothecate it. Catlin Long talks about this all the time. Paper Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. Right? So, and, and that's... But it's not the, if one person... It's like, there's four people on this call who I presume self-custody. Three, if you forget. I don't, I, I, don't have, like I don't have Bitcoin. Yeah, I don't have any Bitcoin. So if anybody... I actually really Bitcoin, don't have any Bitcoin. Yeah, neither do so I. So unfortunately, nobody has any Bitcoin. But if some people did have Bitcoin, some of them would self-custody. And it doesn't really matter. Like if you self-custody, let's say you had Bitcoin. If you did self-custody and somebody else did not, your Bitcoin is still in your self-custody. Like the government may control some other chunk of it, but your Bitcoin are still in your self-custody. And you can still put them into the Lightning Network. And as long as there's people all over the world running Bitcoin and, and blocks continue to get mined, which they will, then... Bitcoin continues to operate, even if it doesn't operate for some other people. So there is a vulnerable for the people who don't self-custody their coins. Yes, they are vulnerable to state seizure of their coins. But for the people who do self-custody their coins, no, they are not vulnerable because they have met. This, this was the point I was making, right? Like no amount of other people giving their coins to the government will make my coins disappear mm. because I have, they are protected behind. They're just a random number in a space that's bigger than all the atoms in the universe. So good luck. You're welcome to guess it as aggressively as you want. And I think that that is, that's, that's like one point of survivability that I speak, that, that I'm speaking to, right? It's just, you, the people who are using it right don't require that the people who aren't using it right use it right. I think it's nice of us to share and educate people because it's for their own good. And it's like, it comes from a sense of generosity, but it's not required. Like if 51% of the coins are all held in custody with the government, Bitcoin still functions, mm. right? And we still have our sovereignty over what we spend it on and what we don't spend it on. And it can't be seized. And, you know, even if a 51% attack on the hash rate takes place, we have defenses. And this is why I, I don't mean to be dismissive of these things. It's just having bit participated in the fork wars it was like anything that was thrown at us we were able to come up with okay well this is how we'll deal with it this is that's how we'll deal with it some of these things were like considered nuclear options like we'll have to change the proof of work algorithm and brick all the miners that was a very unpleasant thing to consider but but you know what when we po when luke jr posted that code immediately the miners were like okay we're we're going to start signaling for activate activation so it's just to show that all the only because this is a system of code because the system operates within cyberspace according to the rules of math and physics nobody with any amount of force can change those rules and we and and the rules that it follows are the rules we opt into there's other rules that other people opt into, but they can't make us opt out, opt out of the rules we opt into. So they can offer Bitcoin cash. They can offer anything else. But I think the people on this call are continuing to opt into the rules that define Bitcoin as a decentralized censorship resistant system. And it's simple enough that we can run the code, understand the code, maintain the code. P, please stop DMing yellow porn. Tower, that it's is never going to happen. To be clear, I want to be very clear. 
This is not porn. This is mid-journey inspired images based on the conversation we are having here today. The fact that the creatures, Flat Eric, of which yellow is, yellow is one, may or may not have clothes, that's a separate issue. We take our jobs very seriously here, Tomer and Nico, if you guys haven't Clearly. figured that out. Absolutely. Clearly. It's important. You know, as we, as we wind down today, I do want to address something that I saw in the chat. It's a question that I know you guys have had this conversation in the chat over on YouTube. If you're watching us on Rumble, give us a plus sign. I don't know why we have so many viewers and not a plus sign. You guys must really hate us, but thank you for tuning in regardless and be sure to, be sure you subscribe to our channel as well over on Rumble. But I'm going to take this from the YouTube chat and just this idea that we've started to see attacks and FUD thrown at Bitcoin from any and everything, from the amount of energy we use to it's a Ponzi scheme, they're better. Is yellow hacking Nico right now? <laughs> Yellow uh, has powers that are beyond comprehension. Just don't even trip. Like, don't mention it. It actually gives him more agency and power. Just ignore it. I'm being way too long-winded with my question, but the point of it essentially is we're now seeing these attacks of like Bitcoins are psychopaths where, you know, when when you can't actually attack the thing, there's no merit to actually attack this technology. You now attack the people and their merits itself. How do we feel? Like, personally, I'm happy. You want to call me a psychopath? Okay, that just validates that the energy we use is validated. The technology is sound and secure. You can't actually attack the thing itself, so you have to attack my credibility, our credibility. Is this a positive step forward, Tomer? Is this an attack that in previous cycles has even been done or because Bitcoin is now so mainstream, now it's in the zeitgeist. Now you have CNBC every single day in the same way they talk about, oh, the S&P is up two and a half points. Now it's Bitcoin is up. Bitcoin is down every single day. Bitcoin is mainstream now. So my question is, are these attacks on character a good thing for us? Is this a sign that we're moving forward? I think there are challenges for us that we can react to in two ways, right? Like we can say, fuck you, you're the fanatics. Or we can say, we can be peaceful, which is access acceptable. Or we can say, we're not. Look at how we really behave. And, and the, you know, the article that I most recently wrote for you guys called Bitcoin Bitcoiners, Truth, Beauty and Love is all about how we can step away from the toxic fight and how people do see us as fanatics. Like Bitcoin for many Bitcoiners is this spiritual experience. It's this awakening of self-sovereignty and freedom and separation of state from money and maybe from so many other things like education and healthcare and these other things. So it becomes this very spiritual experience. And people say, well, they seem like fanatics. I know my own family has thought that I've gone crazy at, at one point in time. But if you if you stick to the principles and explain the principles and are, are able to be mature enough or self-controlled enough to not lose your shit while you do it, maybe more and more people will say, you know, they don't actually seem like they're all that wrong. And they have this point, they were right about inflation and they were kind of right about these other things and these other related matters. And they were wrong about this one thing, so they're not perfect. So you just end up starting to have what we haven't had in our culture for the last 10 years, which is just a rational, honest conversation in which people admit to making mistakes and people admit when they've, you know, when other people have been right and they've been and they've been wrong. So I just think this is a continued process of dialogue, a Socratic method, whatever you want to call it, where everyone's discovering the truth. And I do 
I have a great deal of conviction that Bitcoiners have access to truth that other people are still blind to. The curtain has the, cur the fiat curtain has been been pulled away for other people. For us, we can see there's a real big problem with the money system, and it leads to all these perverse incentives, and it leads to the all these things being broken. And Bitcoin fixes it by removing that perverse incentive, and then you can start to get into these things. And to to the point that Nico was making earlier is like, it may take a generation, right? It, it may be that everyone who's lived their entire lives with the government in charge without seeing any alternative possibility, for them, it's just going to be too hard to wake up from the matrix to see it. So we may have another 20 years before people who were born into a world where self-sovereign money was an option actually see that it is, that it is viable and, and support doing what needs to be done. I'll give it over because I know we're running out of time. I, Tober, I mean, I, I, if you want to keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, I love that, dude. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Tober. Like, I'm a huge, he, he, he speaks like he writes. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I know, I'm, I will say I, like, I'm, I'm more like Alex Jonesy. Tomer is just like smooth, an angel coming right. down. I love that you're leaning heavily into the Alex Jones. Uh, Nico, you're like, next you're going to be like, oh, I can dude. see it now. You just need glass. Dude, it's, it's not me. I was given, I was, I was given it. I was like, yo, like the plebs are like Nico Jones, Nico Jones. So I guess I'm leaning into, it. I guess you're right. P I guess, I guess no, it's, it's a good, good observation. I think it's a great kind of dichotomy between like you and your, you know, you're like the, the rants and then Tomer is sort of like, you know, taking it back and he's like yeah. you know, talking in, in dulcet tones. I feel like that's similar to the role that, uh, that Q and I normally play. Uh, like we're it. both totally insane. There yeah, is no balance on the show. <laughs> Zero balance. No balance. Okay. If I'm going to say, if you're, if you want me to say a couple of things, I'm actually going to send people to work that I've done because we're running out of time. So I, if you haven't you seen the film that I worked on called Bitcoin is generational wealth with Bitcoin mag sponsored by Bitcoin magazine and Swan Bitcoin and MicroStrategy and the Mises capital, please watch it. It's a 14 and a half minute movie here on YouTube. If that's where you are, Bitcoin is generational wealth written and narrated by me, directed by Matt Hornick, who's a good friend of mine. If, if you just follow me on Twitter and check in my feed, there's a few things that I've published quite recently that are in this kind of peaceful notion. There's one that's even a short story that's not explicitly about Bitcoin called The Lesson of the Golden Teacher. There's the article that I just published for Bitcoin Magazine. There's lots of stuff that I've that I published for Swan and there's lots of stuff on my medium. I really think if you if you like what I've been saying on, on tomerstrolight.medium.com, there's a set of articles that I wrote called Who Are the Bitcoiners? And it really speaks to it speaks to what kind of people Bitcoiners are and what kind of people people become by becoming Bitcoiners. So there's one article in there that I particularly like called Rich or Poor, Bitcoiners Have What Money Can't Buy. And maybe that's uh, going to make you guys curious enough to, <laughs> to participate, to listen into that. So that's, I, I, I generally don't feel great plugging a lot of my stuff. So research me if you like what you've, you've heard me say. And I'm uh, just going to, I'm going to run. I'm going to do a hard, hard show. And Nico, I mean, nothing but love and respect for everything is simply Bitcoin. But if you have never watched anything that Tomer has touched, put words together around, just go read some of these articles. Like I'll admit, I've never read the book, The Block Size Wars. After reading Tomer's like hour long article, I feel like I lived through the block size wars. Like do yourself a favor. This is the best storyteller in all of Bitcoin land. 
Go read something of his if you have not yet already. Please, for the love of God, do yourself that favor. And then chase it with an episode of Simply Bitcoin. Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you have not watched Simply Bitcoin. I'm going to have to dive off the call. So, because I've got something promptly. No. Thank you very much for having me, guys. I'd be very happy to come back again in the future. And love and peace. Wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Tamar. Nico, we will give you now the microphone. That man is an angel. He's He's a Bitcoin angel coming down from above, blessing us with his knowledge and so peaceful. I love it. Yeah, guys, I'm Nico. I'm the host of a Simply Bitcoin. So slightly more, uh, slightly more political, slightly a little bit more. I don't know. How else do I say it? I don't know. Anyways, check out Simply Bitcoin. It's We cover memes, news, culture, all that good stuff. Very similar to Bitcoin Mag. Slightly different. Anyways, guys, I love what you guys are doing. Huge fan. Honor to be on Bitcoin Magazine Live. Love you all. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's great to have you, Nico. Thank you for joining us. Have too much fun at BitBlock Boom. And when you see P, give him another. I, I'm going to have to make this call. I do want to, I got to say, we got to call call it an episode here, gentlemen. Uh, it is that time of day where Nick Hoffman, head of news over at Bitcoin Magazine, is going to have to cry in the next two hours because his team, Manchester United, will remain in last <laughs> fucking place. Dead fucking last in the Premier League. Let's fucking go. I'm not even a Liverpool fan, but would love nothing more than to see Nick Hoffman cry. So go root for the Reds. <laughs> buy Bitcoin Stack Sats. And of course, if you have not yet bought your ticket to Bitcoin Amsterdam, please, please, please do so using code promo code BMLIVE. Ticket prices went up yesterday. Sorry, you snoozed, you lost. I warned you. Lock them in now before ticket prices do go up again shortly. This is going to be the biggest baddest, most fun Bitcoin-only event in all of Europe, while it's still called Europe. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. We're going back to Miami for Bitcoin 2023. Lock in your tickets before prices go up. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets today. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.